Hi, I'm Serena Lowe. If you're used to hearing that introverts are shy, anxious, antisocial, and lack good communication and leadership skills, then this podcast is for you. You're about to fall in love with a calm, introspective, and profound person that you are. Discover what's fun, unique, and powerful about being an introvert, and how to make the elegant transition from quiet achiever to quiet warrior in your life and work, anytime you want, in more ways than you imagined possible. Thanks for being here. Welcome to episode 16 of the Quiet Warrior podcast. I'm Serena Lowe, the Quiet Warrior coach. In today's episode, I want to ask you a question that I guarantee you will not find easy to answer. Who are you? Who is the real you underneath, away from people's opinions, free of the fear of judgment and the need for social approval? How deeply connected and rooted are you in your sense of self? Does your opinion vary according to what you think you should say in order to belong with the majority or to feel safe? Some of us have grown disconnected and numb and are functioning on autopilot, immersed in the business of daily life without reflecting on the bigger picture of purpose, journey and destination. Accepting systems, norms and expectations as valid and necessary without questioning why and where they came from. Putting ourselves last and others first, neglecting to top up our emotional tank, allowing others to trespass on our personal space and dictate how we should live, not speaking up when we should, squashing our true thoughts and feelings, letting our dreams wither and die. You are a byproduct of your past, a co-creator of your present and future. So let's talk about identity and inheritance. What have you inherited from others before and around you? In a cultural sense, in a familial sense, from authority figures and your role models, from your environment, from past experiences. Let's look at identity and labels. With what labels do we identify? We may derive our identity from our family of origin, our cultural heritage, our native tongue, our peer group, the schools we went to, our sporting clubs, our favourite music genre, gender, sexuality, faith, personality type. Our identities matter. Here are some simple prompts to help you reflect on the question of who you are. The first one, I am a... What would you fill in that blank with? Like most people, we might think immediately of the roles we play in life. I am an author, a podcaster, a coach, a mother, a mediocre cook, a PE dropout, an introvert. Here's another prompt. I am this, not that. Contrast these two things. I am a spender versus saver. I am disciplined, not free-spirited. I am visually oriented versus I am hands-on. I am introverted versus I am extroverted or ambiverted. I am a doer, not a talker. I am practical, not spiritually minded. Can you see the contrast? And here's another prompt. I'm the kind of person who... What would you fill in the blank with? I'm the kind of person who 
gets upset when I witness violence, horror, or sadness. I'm the kind of person who avoids confrontation. I'm the kind of person who likes to do things well. I'm the kind of person who loves attending personal development courses and learning new things. I'm the kind of person who wants to make a positive difference in the world. Now let's look at the opposite kind of a prompt. I am not the kind of person who... What would you fill in the blank with? I'm not the kind of person who cuts corners, gossips, lies, believes everything I read on the internet, plans trips in advance, runs for the train, enjoys a good debate, loves going to the beach. Labels are social constructs and mental shortcuts. In some ways, they make life easier and give us less to think about. We label someone so we know what box to put them in and we recognise that box as meaning something especially meaning whether they are one of us, whether they are safe to be with, whether we like them and we want to spend more time getting to know them. Labels, on the other hand, may constrain and limit because they can be biased and judgmental. We may mislabel someone due to ignorance or prejudice with negative consequences. There is another level at which we unpack the question of identity, and that is in answering the question, What kind of things do I do or will I not do because I am that kind of person or I am not that kind of person who does those things? Think about the times you said yes to something you were asked to do without thinking too much about it because that's the kind of thing you do. A friend needs help to cat sit while they are away. You say yes. Someone needs transport to get to church because they are not mobile. You say yes. Someone wants to highlight the plight of asylum seekers and refugees and invites you to paint a banner or sign a petition. You say yes. That's because the values underneath the request, kindness, helpfulness, being a voice for the voiceless, are in alignment with your values. There is no conflict. This is the kind of thing you would do. So it's easy to say yes. Now think about the times you refused or were offended procrastinated endlessly when asked to do something because it was not who you are. You are not the kind of person who does that kind of thing. It didn't matter if it was a simple request that it would take only two minutes. It didn't matter that you wouldn't have to go out of your way or that you could afford the money. It didn't matter what your head knew was the right thing to do because deep inside you didn't see yourself that way. You hesitated because at some level, there was a clash of identity between how you see yourself and how you perceive the asker and the people who do or support those sorts of things. You may know that regularly showing up at networking events can help you grow your network and your business. You may know that meeting new people and practicing your social skills builds your confidence and ability to converse with all kinds of people. But if... You're an introvert who values your privacy and time alone, or feels overwhelmed when there's too much social stimulation. Your gut response is probably going to be, no thanks, maybe another time. You may start a business because you want more say over how you work and how much you earn and how you use your time and talents, and because you genuinely want to help people. But if you value certainty and predictability and routine and control, overtaking risks and trying new things. Or you see words like entrepreneur or CEO or sales and marketing 
as something that relates to other people, but not you. You may struggle with those aspects of running a business, because that's not your identity. You may receive an invitation to speak on someone's podcast, or share your vision with a room full of prospective clients. But if you don't see yourself as a worthy contender, or as someone who is competent to deliver on what is required, if you don't believe your voice counts, or if your imposter syndrome is louder than the voice of your higher wisdom and intuition, you're going to say no and turn down the opportunity or even self-sabotage so you have an excuse to not play bigger. What about the intersection between habit and identity? How do our habits reflect our identity? Let's say this is the year you want to improve your health by getting more movement into your daily routine because you find yourself sitting too much and it's giving you backache and bad posture. You decide that the way to achieve your goal of more movement is to go for a 30-minute walk every day. But then when the time comes, you don't feel up to it, or it's too cold, or too hot. It's summer, and there are flies. What that might mean is that you've not yet embodied the identity of someone who takes their health seriously enough to go for a walk every day. Think about the identity you currently carry with you. How did it come about? When I was growing up, there were things my family did that just felt natural to me because that was all I knew. When we ate out, I knew not to pick an expensive dish or order a drink, even when told I could. Even now, when eating out with my own family, I have to consciously invite my kids to order drinks if they wish and choose any dish they like, so as to set a new precedent of abundance and generosity. Certain beliefs became part of my personal belief system. It was decades before I developed the critical thinking faculty and wondered why or who said so. For instance, when I was growing up, academics were the most important thing for a student. Nothing less than an A. Money does not grow on trees. God helps those who help themselves. We do not share our personal problems or admit to others that we are in trouble and need help. This was the identity and the values I grew up with. As time went by, that identity expanded to include my role as a parent. Besides being the caregiver, I was now also the shaper of my children's morals and achievements. Weekends are for kids' enrichment classes and church. The more enrichment classes, the better. It is my job as a mother to ensure my kids grow up with good manners, are respectful to their elders, do well at school, attend Sunday school regularly, are well-nourished, develop well in all areas, know their cultural heritage, and become successful adults. It wasn't long before I started experiencing the pushback and resistance that is a normal part of adolescence, and one by one these presumptions of good mothering started to crumble and then gave way completely. Did that mean I'm a parenting failure because I didn't follow the script successfully? For a long time, I thought so. Until one day I realised I was having conversations with my kids that I never had growing up. That my kids were still coming to me to confide, to vent, to seek reassurance and a hug. And every now and then they would tell me in their own way that they appreciate me. That's how I know I'm doing a decent job as a mum. Our identity changes with the seasons in life and as we readjust to a new normal, each time a life change takes place. 
when a loved one dies, when you lose your job, when our health is not as it used to be, when you quit your profession to go on a different path, when you migrate to a new country and start over again, when you get married, when you hold your child in your arms for the first time. How has your identity changed over the years? Have you experienced an identity crisis? And how did that come about? How did you change as a result? How did you make peace with it? I remember one time I was invited to be on a panel of speakers at a university to share with law students about what else they can do with a law degree besides being a lawyer. The other two speakers were practicing lawyers and very successful and well-known with a list of glittering professional achievements. One of them, in fact, was also a best-selling author whose work I love. I felt like a spare because being an ex-lawyer, I was no longer part of that world and I felt like I needed an even bigger success story just to be on the same level, to earn the right to be there. And I didn't. Mine is just the story of an ordinary person who took a leap of faith and went on the road less travelled to find out what else I could do with my talent and my passion. My journey has been internally driven and mostly invisible, and the rewards and results can be hard to measure by the standards of what the world regards as success. I remember the first time I had to fill in a form in Australia soon after migrating. I had just given birth to my second child and was a stay-home mum. What should I put under occupation? Writer, coach, stay-home mum. I felt as though my identity and self-esteem were on the line. That it mattered what I wrote under occupation because I was going to be judged by some random stranger reading the form. It wasn't enough to write stay-home mum. I had to justify my existence in an economically viable way. That was definitely an identity crisis moment for me. When we uprooted and migrated from Singapore to Australia, we left behind many parts of our identity. We had to start all over again and re-establish ourselves. Legally, with all the necessary supporting documents proving that we were so-and-so in our home country and now we are so-and-so here. Socially, reaching out tentatively to make new connections at school, through our children, at church, through friends of friends. Professionally, as a migrant woman without local work experience, there was a loss of identity. From having reached a certain level in my career and realising that maybe that was as far as I could go and I would have to pivot because what I had achieved in my home country did not necessarily transfer smoothly in terms of recognition. I still needed to prove my capability within my new environment to gain new skills and qualifications and learn to communicate and work with others in a new way. The hardest part of owning my identity has been recognising which parts came from me and which parts originated from others, which parts I have consciously integrated and accepted, which parts I unconsciously absorbed and parrot because I have not separated myself from the source of my beliefs, thoughts and values, and which parts are just social constructs, job titles, personality type, other people's expectations, and are not actually my identity. Have you heard phrases like, you're just like your father, or don't be like your mother when you grow up? or even the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Throwaway comments like these are usually made by a well-intentioned older person to a younger person. 
And I sometimes wonder how the person in person listening feels to be compared to their parent. I know someone who continues to speak in the voice of their mother, even though they are over 50, using the exact same phrases and responses their mother does when talking about certain persons or topics. It is as if the two have merged and the umbilical cord has never been severed. I believe most of us would like to be accepted for who we are, just as we are, and to know that even though our parents and other authority figures and past experiences and books and mentors may have shaped us and helped us get from there to here, there nevertheless remains a little place inside us that is ours alone, where we are most comfortable, most true to ourselves, and most at home. And the first step, I believe, is in allowing ourselves to be who we already are. As Carl Rogers says, each person is an island unto himself, in a very real sense, and he can only build bridges to other islands if he is first of all willing to be himself and permitted to be himself. I want to finish off this episode with a quote from a graphic I saw on the internet. Every year, you make a resolution to change yourself. This year, make a resolution to be yourself. Thank you for joining me today. See you on the next episode. I'm so grateful that you're here today. If you found this content valuable, please share it on your social media channels and subscribe to the show on your favorite listening platform. Together, we can help more introverts thrive. To receive more uplifting content like this, connect with me on Instagram at Serena Lowe, Quiet Warrior Coach. Thank you for sharing your time and your energy with me. See you on the next episode.